Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And on this week's episode, we have a real treat for you. Jerry Colonna is a professional coach known for his unique teachings on entrepreneurship and business psychology. He's the co-founder and CEO of the executive coaching and leadership development company, Reboot, and is the host of the Reboot podcast, by the way, if you're looking for another great one. Among other things, he teaches leaders to embrace extreme challenges as opposed to avoiding them and to take time to discover the self through introspection. And in this episode, you get a clear picture of how Jerry coaches, his concept of radical inquiry, and he offers his insights into how to do more while maintaining the practice of remaining your authentic self. We've been fans of Jerry for a long time, and we're really proud to have him on this week's episode. Um, I, I want to just welcome you, Jerry. I have, you know this, I... Um, gosh, for many years have listened to you, followed your work, read your stuff. Um, I think I'm going to cry. Uh, okay. It's all right. It's all right. Be, be strong. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I remember, I will say this briefly um, while she's recomposing herself here. Um, it was not long. It was around the time where um, your, your company, um, uh, was flaming out and you were, you were in deep burnout and that you discovered his book, Jerry's book. I think Reboot, your book had just come out. It had just come out. And, uh, and since then, you know, you've also shared it with me. And, uh, and I mean, there, there are so many, you have so many great questions that you have at pose at the end of each and every chapter. There, there are many rich directions in which we can, uh, go, uh, in this, um, you know, um, yeah. podcast on calling. But let me just say yeah. this though, because your influence in my life predates even that. So I, we met really briefly. I don't even remember what year it was um, at a Wisdom 2.0 conference in New York. It was very briefly. I think you were coming in. I remember week, that. And then you had to yeah. bolt out. Um, but I had just joined this venture capital incubator as the mm -hmm. director of happiness. And I felt so alone. I was like, what am I walking into? <laughs> Who <laughs> yeah. are these people and how do I help them? And I remember just feeling very isolated and alone and, <clears throat> excuse me, found your work um, and heard your story. And I was like, that's kind of the, the North Star. You became that for me. Like, that's how I can do this work in the way I want to do it with these type of people. Because it was a very alien land for me. So you have uh, mentored me and influenced me in ways that I could never say thank you enough. Well, thank you. That's quite an introduction. And <laughs> let, me, let me say a couple of quick things. Um, first of all, I welcome your tears, Shell. That's a, it's an expression of love. It, it, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It's an expression of happiness in an odd way. Yeah. And um, to, to imagine that the work that I do has had an influence and a support for someone that I know from afar is a gift. Mm -hmm. And, and um, lastly, I would say, I, I think I can empathize with the feeling of, 
finally being able to have a conversation that you've wanted to have live mm. with someone whose work you admire. It's a, it's a really powerful feeling and I respect and honor that. And I will hold in my heart as we have this conversation, all of the people whom I speak of and think of in those ways, um, because we're all part of a lineage. We're all part of a sharing. Um, and I think it's important that we recognize them in this moment. Thank you for that. So I, um, I want to share with our listeners your story. I would love for you. Um, there's so much goodness in it. Um, I know you've had your own kind of, um, crucible moments is the way I think of it. And so More than a few. Yeah. If you could just take us back and share just how your own reboot that you went through and maybe you're still going through. Um and and just let us know where you are now with it. Well, uh, I, I I like that little addendum that you put on the question, which was maybe still going through. because <laughs> uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, because I think implicit in that is a, um, um, recognition that these processes, uh, they feel like aberrations when in fact it's actually life unfolding as it's supposed to. Um, I think the story and the, the, the piece that you're thinking about and I want to recognize that there's a leaf blower outside. And I don't know if you're hearing that. But, uh, um, I honor and recognize a lot of things. <laughs> um, and I find that very helpful. Yeah. You frame that well, like you know, as our dogs eating outside. So. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Observe it. It's just, it's just life. That's right. You know. I like that um, perspective because, yeah, we're fingers crossed that our next door neighbor won't start mowing his lawn as well. Yeah. You know, this, this, is, this is life in the pandemic. What do we do? Um, so I think the story that you're referring to, Shelly, is uh, what happened to me in my 30s. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So um, to put some context into it, um, and I'll use a little Yiddish now, I was a mocker, which is a good term, which means a big guy. I was, a, I was, a, I was like an influencer. I was, you know, what I was was a venture capitalist in New York, and I was part of uh, the emerging New York tech scene and my partner, Fred, and I, Fred Wilson, who's a fairly well-known venture capitalist now, had built a small firm uh, in New York, and it had taken off like a rocket ship, and it was uh, very successful. And um, uh, we had started that when I was turning 30, and uh, by 37, 38 years old, uh, a lot of the things in my soul, which I had ignored, um, had begun catching up to me. And so on the one hand, as I often describe it, the external life that I was living was not um, mapping to my internal life. And so that I was living with an incongruity between the inner and the outer. But I was also uh, 
finally coming to confront structures of my life and belief systems and just the, the adverse childhood experiences I had had. Um, and it was all coming together in the same moment in advance of turning 40, which is this magical moment of complete and utter disruption. Um, and so the result was at 38, uh, I became depressed and suicidal, uh, which, as I often point out, was particularly dangerous because I had already attempted suicide at 18. And so having that reemerge statistically, as those who study such things know, that those who have attempted once are likely to succeed a second time. And so it was a serious moment in time that called for, um, in hindsight, uh, a complete reboot of who I was and how I was living my life. I'll fast forward to the end. Thank goodness that happened. Mm-hmm. Because I am the man I am today because of the decision I made not to kill myself. So that's the reboot I think you were referring mm-hmm. to. So and I don't know if you're about to ask a question because no, I want to jump. Because I, I, um, I've listened to your podcast a lot. And in it, and for people that don't know, I would strongly encourage them to go check out the reboot podcast. So it's clear to me listening to you, and I think I've even tweeted this or said this to you, um, this is appears to me that this is work you are called to do, that mm-hmm. it is so, um, comes from this deep place in you. It's, it's, it seems effortless. Um, I think there's this, there's this real expression of something soulful when you, when I hear you coaching these people. So I'm, you know, hearing your reboot story and what you went through and seeing the work you do now, I'm really curious how how does you connect those dots in your own heart and mind? Like how is your calling unfolding for you even in the midst of, or could you even see it in the midst of going through all that in your 30s and 40s? Because it seems so apparent now, or is it something that just had to evolve? Because it seems clear. Yeah. Well, it feels clear. Okay. And, now it does. And, 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 and to me, well, first of all, thank you for recognizing that. Um, it's, again, gratifying to think that, um, that that comes through. Uh, it calls to mind something that happened to me a few years ago. I was doing a speaking event and, um, uh, I was waiting to go up on stage and there was a, a little buffet line where people were getting drinks and snacks and things like that. So I got online to get some lemonade and, um, uh, there was a fellow in front of me and I leaned into him and I made a joke. I said, I hear this guy, Jerry Colonna. I hear that his voice puts you to sleep. And he turned around and he laughed and then he looked and he saw that I had a name tag on and he said, wait, you're Jerry Colonna. I was like, yes, I am. 
And so we laughed and he said, you're the same person that you are on the podcast. Hmm. And I said, yes, I am. Which to me felt like a tremendous compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that the reason that that story pops into my head is because whether it's the podcast or being CEO of Reboot or coaching a client or doing a talk at some event, um, one of the most important lessons I took from that period of my life in my 30s was that I have to be the same in inside as I am outside. I have to be the same because when I'm not, I am miserable. Now, I'll connect this to calling. So as you know, um, the word vocation comes from the Latin, vocare, the calling. And we often apply vocation as a word to two different uh, structures. We talk about vocational training school when someone goes and becomes an electrician. But when we talk about ministry, when we talk about spirituality, we often will use the word vocation. And I think, Shelley, what you're seeing is someone who has lived into his vocation, Hmm. the calling from the divine, the thing that I was meant to do, the person that I am meant to be. Now, we have to be careful when we think about vocation. Because like a lot of human beings, um, I am wired to think that when I achieve contentment, that it should be frozen in amber for all time. Mm -hmm. And it should be just this. Um, But if I were to think of vocation that way, then I would then then I would say, well, I've got a podcast and I've got a few coaching clients. And so that's it. I'm done. But in fact, Um, it's more dynamic than that. So you enjoyed my book. Um, The book is an expression of vocation. Uh, I'm now hard at work on my next book. The next book is an expression of my vocation. And so by taking this approach, 10 years from now, when I'm 67, I may or may not have coaching clients, but I am always going to be living into my vocation. Because the form may change, but the function remains the same, which is an inner and outer of alignment on topics that matter. Can you talk a little bit about how you got there? Because I'm I'm just, you know, and I, I think for me, it took failure. It took... Um, what I'm coming to talk about a little bit as a shock point in my life to wake me up to some of, some of these ideas you're talking about, but I'm curious for you to, to get to the place where who you are kind of just flows out of what you do. How did you get there from um, suicidal thoughts? Like that's quite a journey that you've been on. 
I, I, I'll respond to the question, but let me ask you a favor first. Sure. Uh, you've asked this question two or three different ways. Why is this question so important to you? Mm. I'm thinking, um, you know, the, what, what, what just popped up into my head was normalizing. There's something more there's, cause I think the, this path, this kind of, um, bringing integrity into the world or trying to like what, what you're talking about, the inner to meet the outer Mm. is such a hard road to hoe. (laughs) And I think a part of me is like, is this worth it? (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to indulge me a little bit more with one more set of questions. Okay. So there's a voice in your head that says, is this worth it? Is that right? Yeah. And what else is that voice saying to you? What's the sacrifice? Like I have this North Star of like, of course it's worth it. That's the gold. That's how I want to live. And there's a but in there. Yeah. So now there's two voices. One voice is, is, of course, that's the North Star. And then there's a big, honking, loud yeah. but. Which is What's the but? fear, it's ego, it's... Um, yeah, let's not label it. What's that <laughs> voice say? Right there. Stay in that spot. I'm trying to be really gentle with it. We'll blow some kisses to it. You know from my work that that's just a protective voice. Yeah. It's a little harsh, though. Absolutely. And I think that with the voice for me is you could do all this work and still not fit in. Which is why I've just loved what you're doing because I, I, just, I see you as so um, full of integrity. And you've, at least from the outside looking in, seemed to fit in to that right. very sharky world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to stay in that notice attention point here. If I live in the pursuit of that North Star, if I live with the integrity that I see those I admire living with, then I'm going to be that weird duck that doesn't fit in. I'm not going to belong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's an old feeling, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. (laughs) And it really sucks. It just sucks not, you know. And so there's, I've, you know, like many of us, I've lived a lot of my life figuring out which masks um, help me. 
And so to lay all those down and just be Shelly is, and we talk about this, you know, it's just, um, it's, there's threat in it. Right. And so the, but the voice that says the, but, but fill in the blank, right? Look at all the risks. That voice is protecting you from the perceived threat of what will happen to Shelly if the mask gets dropped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, voice. <laughs> we might even give it a name, Bertha. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you. Because she loves you. Even in her harshness. Yeah. So I have not lost sight of the fact that you really asked me how I got there. And I'm going to go back to that. Um, So the path, in the pathless path, this wandering from moving from side to side, and where do I do, and how do I go, the path, the North Star, isn't actually outside The North Star is, to quote Tara Brock for a moment, is a kind of radical acceptance Mm -hmm. of the totality of who I am, including the messes that I am, including the voice of Bertha, or as my teacher Sharon Salzberg calls her voice, Lucy, like Mm -hmm. the the Peanuts character. Right? Right? the acceptance of that voice and the understanding that that voice is there to protect us in our wish to belong, our wish to be loved, our wish to feel safe, right? We cannot, to put it a different way, we cannot live in the way that you are seeing me live if we're going to reject a part of ourselves. Mm -hmm including the inner critic, including the Lucy. I mean, this may be the mind-blowing piece. It's like, wait, I actually have to accept all the parts of me that every self-help book tells me I should ignore? Mm. Yeah, That's so hard. you should listen to your inner critic, you're saying. No, you should love your inner critic. Mm. Oh, <laughs> that is, yeah. that is well, different. But tell it. Thank you very much, but I got this. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you're trying to take care of me. But just like when I was a little kid, your perceptions of the world are out of date. Mm -hmm. Mom's not going to hurt me. Dad's not going to hurt me. The kids, I'm not in middle school anymore. The kids aren't going to taunt me. I am not a loser. Say it, say it with me loud and proud. I am not a loser. I am I'm not, not a failure. I am not a loser. <laughs> I am not a failure just because I have failed. Mm. Right. That, yeah, that's a good, that's a hard one, but that's a good one. That's a really hard one, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden when we love that inner critic, we're in relationship with a part of ourselves. Mm. And then the inner critic goes, oh, okay, I don't have to speak so loud anymore. Mm. There's a great movie called The Beautiful Mind 
uh, with mm-hmm. um, it was uh, about the life of John Nash. And if you remember, he uh, was mentally ill. And at the very end of the movie, he's won, I think, the Nobel Prize. And someone comes up to him and says, you seem so much better. I imagine you don't hear those voices in your head anymore. And he says, oh, I still hear them. I just choose to ignore them. Mm. Or I choose not to listen to right. them. Hmm. Well, uh, you want to go ahead? Well, I'm, I am connecting this, um, back to calling. Cause I, I, I like what you're saying. Um, what you said earlier, cause I, I do, we, we get wrapped up in this idea of calling. It's like, what am I called to do? And I really, um, yeah, I think that's a, a, a a limited way of thinking about it. I'll just say that. So this, um, path, I wanted you to talk more about the pathless path for one, but I'm really recognizing, um, the work is really toward authenticity and integrity and an, and a result of that or an extension of that is what we produce in the world. Um, and I don't know the question in there other than just, I'm really hearing that in a really profound way right now. Well, if I'm, if I may, one of the things that I'm hearing, especially as you say, what am I supposed to do in the world? And I kind of hear a bit of like, who am I supposed to be as the alternative question, um, and and I actually I do remember the um, the non path pathless path moment that you're referring to from I believe it was your chapter six when you were talking about you were in a moment of pain Jerry and you I think approached Pima Chodron and uh, you were reaching out to her and asking her to like help you to show you a way and then she told you about this pathless path which, um, let's see, I think I'm getting it. If I was to formulate this into a question, it would be how often do you sort of overtly help people find their calling and how often do we help them realize it uh, sort of once it's manifesting? Uh, Is it an outward, can it be an outward in thing or does it have to sort of be inward and then manifest itself outward? Okay, so there's a lot. <laughs> um, Take it away, Jerry. <laughs> uh, uh, it's well, a connection. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So, so okay, a couple of things. Um, I think I can tie it all together. So I'm going to attempt to tie everything together with what you what you said. In my book, I describe uh, at one point in the chapter on, on, it's not called the pathless path. It's called, it's the handprints on the Canyon wall chapter. Mm-hmm. But in that chapter, I talk about laying on my back at the bottom of the grand Canyon, straining to see shooting stars mm-hmm. and realizing that I needed the only way that I was going to see shooting stars was to actually relax my gaze. And that when I relaxed my gaze and allowed my peripheral vision, otherwise known as the non-attached 
vision to glance, I could see stars all over. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the reason that that comes to mind is um, I want to go back to a couple of different things. And I think this is the way to navigate the pathless path. Okay. We've been using phrases like, what am I called to do? And we, you know, I was the one who brought in the language of calling, right? Bukhari. And the expression is a calling from the divine. I think that the very human tendency, the minute we start to do this work and we start to ask ourselves questions that I myself have asked clients, what are you called to do? Uh, Who are you supposed to be? There's a nasty little inner critic edge to those questions that we have to be very careful about. And it kind of goes like this. What's the matter with you? Why aren't you doing the life you're supposed to do? Aren't you supposed to, supposed to, supposed to, right? Mm -hmm. And viewed from one angle, the what am I called to do could possibly reimagine and re-envision that old man with a long white beard who's sitting on a throne in heaven who's looking down with a finger saying, you are not who I made you to be. (laughs) Right, yeah. Okay, it's very punitive. Okay. So we have to be careful around language like that. And then... When we think about the pathless path, right, right, what the, the first level is, what's my path? What are my mm-hmm. steps? What do I have to do? Mm-hmm. And we live in a society that says, go to school, get good grades, get to a good school, uh, figure out the right career, marry the right person, and then milk and honey and cookies for the rest of your life. Except it doesn't work that way. Because that's not life. Mm. Someone gets sick, someone gets COVID, like, what the fuck? Excuse my language. What the hell happens? Yeah. Right? And we're shocked because I did everything I was supposed to do, followed the path. So we put these two concepts together. Be careful about this notion of what the calling means. We think about the path that's been laid out for us. And then we think about this this realization that the only way to see shooting stars is to relax your grip, your gaze. And we realize that the only way through the pathless path is to relax the intention, the gaze, the calling, all of that we load onto it and use our peripheral revision. And in this case, peripheral vision happens to be things like uh, integrity, inner and outer alignment. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I, 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 I actually loved Disney's Pinocchio. And if you remember the Jiminy Cricket character who uh, sang a song, let your conscience be your God. Oh, yeah. Okay. So in a sense, what Jimmy Cricket was saying was, you know the answer. We are just so obsessed with wearing a mask and getting it right and doing the right thing and ending up with milk and cookies and honey at the end of the whole life. 
that we don't listen to ourselves. And so we're stepping out on the pathless path. We are trying to live into the life and the skill is to go quiet and listen to ourselves because our conscience knows I trust my inner knowing. It turns out that the act of trusting my inner knowing outwardly becomes Mm. an expression that you all see and you say, wow, look at Derry. He is (laughs) swimming with sharks and remains himself. It's because I trust my inner knowing. That's the only way through on the pathless path. Mm. And Chad, long-winded way of answering your last question, which was, if you start with that inner connection to your inner Jiminy Cricket, then the stuff that you do on the outside will always be a natural expression of the inner. Mm. Okay. But if, but if you try to focus on getting the right job, then you're staring at the sky saying, where's the shooting star? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't work. So <clears throat> I'm thinking about my own path a little bit over the last few years. Um, and I had such a death grip on what I thought I should do. Like I couldn't even see potentiality in any other thing. So I, I think source, God, universe, love mm-hmm. came at me <laughs> with mm-hmm. a big fat failure. So otherwise, I don't think I would have paid attention um, or thought, even let myself surrender into some other way. So I guess, um, and you had your own kind of, you know, I think we have these these mini deaths through our lives that kind of, um, I don't know how to, what to say about it. Like they just impact us um, and make us shed something. So you had that. I think I went through that a few years ago. Do you, do you think that failure or falling is a necessary part of this path of of uncovering your calling? Or do you think that you people can do it freely? So Jiminy Cricket knows the answer to your question, but I'll say it out loud. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, We have to be careful not to romanticize pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and idealize it. And so the short answer to your question is no, failure is not a necessary step. Mm. Okay. The issue is not failure or not failure or failure or no failure. The issue is, um, how you respond to it. Uh, how do you respond to the life events that happen? So when you were so fixed on, uh, like I have my idea, this is the way it's going to be. In Buddhism, we'd say that's a detachment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the crazy thing is that human beings can become attached to not being attached. I'm going to be so unattached. It's great. Yeah, you're attached, right? So 
the, the, the challenge with that is that you then close yourself off to the spontaneous life events that actually set you on, on uh, the direction that you need to be. Um, again, from my book, I call them asteroid events, right? Um, my partner, Allie, and I celebrate not our anniversary, but our asteroid day. The day we struck each other like asteroids and mm. changed our lives forever. Right. The, 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 when we're fixed staring at the stars, we've actually closed ourselves off to seeing when an asteroid has hit us because we're so attached to the way it's supposed to be sometimes to listen to the inner critic who says you are not living the life you're supposed to be living. We're so attached to that that we fail to see all that potentiality that you noted before, Sean. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. Yeah. How do you like, cause you, you talk a lot about radical self inquiry. I think you mm -hmm. maybe coined that, which I love. I did. Uh, and I use it liberally with people <laughs> and they give you a lot of credit, <laughs> but I just, Good. could you talk about what you mean by that? if we could break those three you know, radical mm. self and inquiry. Mm. Well, my Buddhist friends also like to laugh at me because we talk about, well, there's no self. So what's he requiring? But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll leave that one out. Okay. That might be another <laughs> conversation on the podcast, <laughs> right. but what, how does the, that look when you're. Yeah. So, so briefly the way I describe that is the process by which you, skillfully and compassionately, and that word is really important, strip away the mass so there's no place left to hide. Okay? And so it's a necessary part of that process of intentionally trying to live in alignment. Mm -hmm. Right? It's very, very hard to live in alignment if you're not allowing yourself to be aware of what's going on inside of you. Okay? So it's an inquiry process. It's not an inquisition. Mm -hmm. It's designed to answer questions such as, how have I been complicit, not responsible, complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? And a nice little corollary question to that is, how is it useful for me to say I want to live a life that's less busy, but I remain busy? Right. And complicit is a really important word here, yeah. because as I like to point out, you're an accomplice in the bank job. You're not sticking up the teller. You're driving the driving the getaway car. I love right? that. <laughs> and and the reason that that's important is because the natural human impulse when we start to do this work is to reach into the old bag of tricks and flagellate ourselves. Look at how awful I am. Look at what a terrible person I am. Lucy comes back to the fore, right? When we start to unpack, for example, that we have a belief system uh, that uh, I should be really quiet, keep my head down so that I'm, quote, in service to other people. And so, therefore, I never ask for the promotion. I never go for the job that I want. 
I never seek the life that I really, that my heart desires because I'm being a good girl. Mm. I'm being a good boy. When we start to unpack the structures that cause that belief system in the first place, the defense mechanism that kicks in becomes, look at what a mess I am. I can't even ask for the things that I want. And it becomes this endless, so we go genuine. Mm. We blow kisses. Last thing I'll say is the reason that this is, I call this all radical is because we're not trained to do this. Yes. Yeah. Right? We're trained to just accept things as they are. That's it. This is where life is. Yeah. Well, it's and that makes me think of um, you know you, you you've you've emphasized the compassionately part, the skillfully part to me um, is also a challenge. I, I would want I would wonder how do you help lead people to being able to be consistent, especially if they don't necessarily have to fail, you know, to be uh, radically authentic with themselves, but also it reminds me of a conversation. You've been in conversation with Parker Palmer a number of times on some of these things. He, he talks about how, how, when we're on this inner journey, it's so easy for us to self deceive, uh, Mm -hmm. to deceive ourselves. So this skillful idea of the radical, Mm. because I want to be able to do that more, but I, I think that I'm very armored up, you know, and don't always know it. Um, All right. So, yeah. so you, you, you asked the how implicitly. Yeah. So, I'll, so, I'll, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to show rather than tell. Okay. Okay. So uh, there was a moment at the start of our conversation, Chad, when Shelly started to cry. Do you remember that? Yes. What did you do? I like filled in for her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just pause. Notice what's happening. You just got flushed. In it, right. right. Yeah. Right. There's a there's a little storyline going. It's like, oh, where's he going with this? Oh my god. <laughs> right. Shelly, Shelly is smiling. Yeah. Okay. And in that briefest of encounters, where you filled in so that Shelly could compose herself, I think was the phrase that you said. Right. Notice. I noticed something. Now, I'll take it one level. When when the mic came back to me, the first thing I did was reference Shelly's tears. Shelly, how did you feel when I referenced those tears? And I said, it's okay. Relief. Those are tears of love. Yeah. Relief. Relief. Okay. It's accepted. Chad. Yeah, accepted. Chad, in that moment of love, you may have been fixing her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Shelly, does Chad fix you occasionally? Occasionally. Yeah. Chad, fixing is love. Yeah. But what Shelly needed in that moment, potentially, was acceptance. Mm. Because what I felt, and I could have been wrong, but what I felt in that moment was in the, the good Yiddish word is verklempt. Mm-hmm. Ooh, verklempt. <laughs> in that moment of lots of emotion was, yeah. I'm, I'm a mess. I got to get myself together. What's the matter with me? So we ease. Okay. Now, you asked a how. 
Chad, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> um, I am. I th- I think that well, I I don't know if this is how I my feeling is. Uh, that you're really good at bringing out uh, like the, the, the pace uh, and the way that you're asking questions is uh, it seems to be penetrating like, right. You know, I feel, I feel like in maybe my authentic self, like that you're okay. So, so stay right there. So the first layer was you looked at the intention and you brought it to me. Right. Right. I said, how are you feeling? And you talked about me. Okay. But then you started to go in because remember our launch point was sometimes I'm a little defended. Yeah. Yeah. So now what's happening is that gentle letting down of the defense. Mm -hmm. Remember I said, I'm going to show, not tell. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. So a question of inquiry is, Right. An, inqu- an inquiring question might be, okay, when you see Shelly for Clint, when you see someone you love struggling, what comes up for you? Hmm. It's, it's true that something's not right and that it needs to be fixed. And how long have you held that view of the world? I, I probably all my life. And can you imagine, we don't have to go into the details, but can you imagine the childhood circumstances where that became the assignment? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's great. You just stay right there. See, in the wish to move to be a more authentic self, there's a little gentle inquiring in, right? It would have been lovely for my ego to go back into an intellectualized discussion about, look at the technique that Jerry just used. Boy, Jerry's brilliant. Isn't he great? Oh, wow, his pacing. <laughs> but that's actually would have dropped you. Mm. That's not in service to you. Yeah. Makes my ego feel great. Right. But. But in this moment, I don't really care that we're on a podcast. In this moment, I only care that I'm talking to two human beings whose values I share, who want to create a world that I want to create. Yeah. And I get to be intimate and connected to you. And maybe there's a little power in the dynamic here because I'm on a pedestal right now for a brief moment. And I can show you that it's okay to be real. Yeah, this is now, this is awesome. Does that make sense, Chad? Yes, and I'm so glad that we're able to communicate visually as well. This is helping. Uh, this helps a lot. Um, I, yeah. I do. I want to ask you something, Jerry, though, how, like that I've always wanted to ask you, <laughs> like, cause I had yeah. a, a reckoning, I think of, of not too long ago where I was super cynical and I was like being a healthy whole, um, 
person of integrity is incompatible with startups. And I just couldn't see how the way you work and the, um, oh gosh, the depth and the, this, this radical self-inquiry. I don't, my experience is, is not of founders who are open. So like my, my experience has been actually pushed back from when I've tried to engage and help really. Um, do you think it's, obviously you do, this work, so it has to be compatible for you. Well, uh, the first thing that occurs to me is that I don't make the distinction between founders and startups and entrepreneurs. There are some unique aspects of that. I think that we live in societies that are socialized where this kind of experience is shied, shied away from. It's discouraged. Right. Um, I've been doing a lot of work in men's groups lately. And one of the things that we've had a lot of discussions about is the way in which boys, primarily kids who identify as boys, are discouraged from actually having any access to the feelings. And then we look at the violence that is perpetuated in the world and we are surprised. Mm. Why are so many mass shootings done by men? That's not, I mean, any psychologist will tell you that there's a direct correlation between inability to handle suffering Hmm. and violence. So what you're speaking to, Shelley, and I think that there's a larger piece here, which is when I try to help, I get pushed back. What you run into is defendedness. What you run into is that's a third rail. I'm not going to touch that third rail. Mm -hmm. Now, Chad could have pushed back on me. I didn't actually even have his invitation to help in that moment. I should have asked for that invitation. But but Chad, Chad has clearly done work to be able, even though the first impulse may have been to put a little bit of a wall up, he's done enough work to be able to say, no, I can go there. Right. The first impulse is a flushed, blushing kind of thing. I'm going to, right, which is which is a, a threat signal. It's like, uh oh. But then he's he made a conscious decision to lean in. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that if if I'm working with uh, folks who identify as male, um, I am not above using the maleness thing uh you know two guys stuck in an elevator we'll talk about the weather or sports right and that's about it and i will do that to smuggling consciousness Mm. Mm. okay i want to give credit that's my former partner khaled's uh line smuggling and consciousness so good yeah. Remember what Malcolm X said, by any means necessary. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I think that's where the skill comes in that you're talking about, Chad. Like there is a skill to um, smuggling it in, you know? Yeah. I, 
This has been uh, <laughs> profound and awesome. There's been, you've done a lot of showing and not telling, which uh, I think is really, really powerful, dis- distinct. Yes. So um, I just want to say that you are a gift. You are, um, your wisdom, gosh, you're, you're just, there's just so much I could gush about. Um, but you, you're just very special. You're very special to me. And I'm just so thankful to have you on here and to get to share some sacred time with you. Well, well, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, on the one hand, I enjoy hearing that. I'll acknowledge that, (laughs) but, um, but I, I made a mental note to remind myself of that when I feel down and I feel low. Um, and, and then I very quietly said a prayer of thanks to my teachers mm. because, uh, today we're recording this on May 28th. Today is, uh, not only my son's 31st birthday, ASAM, but it's also, yeah, it's my therapist, Dr. Sayers, whom I wrote about in the book. Mm-hmm. It's her birthday. And she passed from this life uh, three years ago now at 93 years old. Wow. So she would have been 96 today. Mm. And uh, I would be nothing were it not for her. Mm. I'm not even sure I'd be alive, you know. to be honest. So more than a teacher. Yeah. So whatever gift I may my work may be for others is a result of her work and her having done her work in all those years. Well, and I can tell you have done a lot of work yourself um, (laughs) with a lot of uh, clear intention. And I I think that that's another aspect of we, we, we have to work Uh, calling. It doesn't just magically happen. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We we have to do the work. Yeah. Well, can we please um, not be strangers? I'll be tweeting uh, at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah. And y'all are in Nashville, right? We're in actually Close. Chattanooga, right between Nashville oh. and Atlanta. We're in a, a mountain. Oh. Uh, we, right. It's like a little boulder, actually. Yeah. No, it's kind yeah. of mountain. My, 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 my daughter went to Vandy. Okay. And uh, she she works for a uh, charter school in East Nashville. Oh, and okay. uh Nashville is one of my favorite cities, so I'll so great. I'll I'll make a trip. Yeah, well, let us know. We, Definitely. Well, let and we can if, if you're in Nashville, we can just uh, hop I'd, on up. I lived there for quite some time, so know it well. We can jot up and take you to coffee, you lunch, dinner. We'd love that. Yeah, man. Thank you, you so much for your generosity of time and hopping on this call with yes, us, Jerry. Thank you. You're, you're, you're welcome. You will. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you like this podcast and you're interested in the idea of discerning your callings, go to bigselfschool.com slash core values and download the free activity that we've created for you there. We think that getting clear on your core values is a critical first step in really understanding your callings. It's fun. It'll take 15 minutes and we really think it will help. And join the community on Facebook at Big Self School Students. 
You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter and at the Big Self School on LinkedIn and Insta. We love to hear from you. What show has made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? Thanks for tuning in.